0: Hello everyone, my name is Hunter Trineman and uh, I'm repping EKU, The Colonels, and I'm here to talk about love and The Bachelor. Um, So I gladly hung up my Bachelor status about two years ago when I married the love of my life, Danielle. Um, She is just wonderful. Uh, She's expecting twins, we're both expecting twins, and I, I honestly, I don't think I could love her more. So I'm excited to spend the next 15 minutes with y'all, 20 minutes with y'all, talking about love and what love looks like. Um, so, fun fact, when Danielle, my wife, was in college, she actually applied for The Bachelor. And uh, it's a it's a good thing that she didn't go through with it because she probably would have got on, she probably would have won, and we wouldn't be married right now. So I found myself very lucky to not be uh, at the hands of, of Bachelor Nation. Um, so, one thing with love, one thing with marriage that um, that comes with them is is sacrificing. And so, on occasion, every now and then, I'll sacrifice as a good husband should, and, and I'll watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette with Danielle. And it's not my favorite show necessarily, but uh, you know, there's some redeemable qualities, some qualities that might not be as redeemable, um, but you know, it's worth watching every now and then. Um, so anyway the the thing I hope to talk about this whole time really is is just love and a deeper picture of love specifically a deeper picture of God's love uh, especially compared to the to the bachelor uh, I believe the God of the Bible has developed and designed a love that's so much deeper and so much richer than anything we could find on on a reality TV show so, like I mentioned, I've watched The Bachelor some, but I don't think I could do it justice. We're going to look at the redeemable qualities and the, the irredeemable qualities of The Bachelor, but I figured it'd be fun to, to get a couple people on here to, uh, to talk about the, the things they love about The
1: Bachelor. Hey guys, my name is Logan Watkins. I graduated from EKU in May of 2019. Go Kern!
0: Tara Crawford. Um, My husband is Josh Crawford. We've been at EKU for about seven years with Campus Outreach.
1: What's up, guys? My name's Tim. I'm Cassie. And we're going to be answering some questions about The Bachelor. Now, how many seasons have you watched, Cassie? I've watched about seven, I think. Nice. I think I've watched around four. So first question, how many seasons of The Bachelor have I watched? Um, Basically since the first season. (laughs) On and off. How many seasons of The Bachelor have you watched? Uh, since 2012, so when I went on spring break with Campus Outreach, everyone watched the finale of Sean and Catherine's season and I was hooked since. So 2012 to now, about eight years, Bachelorette, Bachelor, it's about 16 seasons. I've only seen two seasons of The Bachelor, um, Colton and Peter. Uh, I guess between those two, Colton was my favorite and Peter was my least favorite. Uh, I liked Colton, I just thought he was a Pretty nice guy, It um, was my first season, so I didn't know uh, what to look for. And then comparing him to Peter's season, I thought Peter made a lot of dumb choices and a lot of dumb uh, decisions, and you know, he was just kind of like a, all right, this guy's, you know, yeah. What do I love about this show? What is not to love? It is so funny. Um, And also what I love about it is that it brings all my friends together. So we typically will, you know, get together and watch it. And it's just a lot more funny when you watch it with friends. So it's an excuse to hang out with my friends and it's absolutely hilarious. What do you like about The Bachelor? Um, My husband asks me that every time I watch it. But I like that um, I can kind of try to predict in the beginning what is going to happen at the end. And to actually see if it works out. I like that. Um, Who's your favorite and least favorite? My favorite is I think Ben Higgins and my least favorite I think was Juan Pablo, I believe. Nice. Um, My least favorite was Pilot Pete. I think he was kind of a chump. And my favorite is the guy who hopped the fence. What is his name? Colton. Don't go on the show. (laughs) Just don't do it, don't do it. Just watch, have fun, laugh at the people you see don't go on the show. What are some of the favorite things about The Bachelor? Um, I think my favorite parts from The Bachelor are finding out who the villain is and mm. who the nice one is. Nice. I enjoy the girl drama inside the house. I feed off of it. I think it's great. Um, I just love it. I'll be watching it when I'm a 75 year old woman probably. There you go.
0: So, like I said, The Bachelor does have some redeemable qualities, and, you know, the drama is one thing, it's what brings you back to TV, reality TV is the drama, the dates, and the dates are crazy, I mean, they, they get to go and travel, they get to do unique things together, crazy experiences, the dates are redeemable, they're awesome, there's infatuation on the show, Uh, these people really, you know, they convince you that they are in love with each other, Um, and it's, it's a, it's a, Cute love, it's an attractive love, it's it's a passionate love, um, and of course, another redeemable quality is just Bachelor Nation. I mean, any any show that has uh, a following like The Bachelor is, you know, it, it's worth noting. Bachelor Nation is legit. <laughs> so these things, among other things, make the show worth watching. But you know, some of these things that draw us into the show can can actually be distorting our view of love if we're not careful, and so. Uh, even even the same things like the drama you know it's reality TV like I said it's drama so you love it and you hate it there's uh, there's problematic issues with reality TV and so there's love triangles uh, really love squares love pentagons love love going every direction so anytime there's love and there's competition for love there's naturally going to be drama there's naturally going to be fights and arguments and yada yada the dates like I mentioned they're beautiful but you know, they really can set contestants up for failure. And so, you think about a foundation of a relationship like this, it's built on extravagance. And so, these uh, these dates, you know, you go skydiving, straight into catamaran sailing, straight into this castle, candlelit, rustic dinner. It's, these are once in a lifetime things. The dates are awesome, they're amazing, but, the extravagance can set these contestants up for failure um so infatuation like i mentioned before again you know it's, it's problematic for for several reasons the, the love is just shallow it's short term the bachelor's is uh it's set up on a timeline that's crunched naturally for tv and then bachelor nation uh, you love it and you hate it uh, you gotta think who is the audience of this tv show these people that are you know enthralled with the show it's, it's got redeemable qualities like I said but what is this show doing to shape their worldview what is this show doing to um, impact their view you know even their definition of love so my main point in all this isn't to diss the bachelor I want to diss the bachelor the whole time um, but really my, my main point is to to emphasize a type of love that's deeper and richer than what we can find on the bachelor and so they're there are good things and bad things about the bachelor but uh, like i mentioned this this is my my main statement the god of the bible has designed love to be richer and deeper than than the things we can experience on this world so what does that look like what is love how do we define love uh, Is the age-old question right so it's been really interesting for me to uh to look into and learn more about i found you know there's there's uh the greek translation i found at least like six or eight different words that are really distinctly different all six or eight of them transition or translate into the word we know in english as love so love is dynamic love uh it has a lot of um a lot of flair to it a lot of variety a lot of you know it's on uh, a deep uh, exciting uh, it's love you know and so what I want to do here for, you know, the remainder is to just talk about three different types of love from the Greek uh, that we can find in the Bible. And so the first one is Eros love, second one is philos love, and the third one is Agape love. So the first one, Eros, if we're defining it, is like a, a sexual, it's a passionate love. Eros love is, you know, it's, it's more shallow love based on emotions. It's based on physical traits, kind of surface level type stuff. Um, And so my example for Eros love is The Bachelor (laughs) and you think about sexual passionate puppy love love based on surface level traits You know short-term love You can see it's in The Bachelor. This Eros love is emotion driven It can be short term and it can kind of fizzle out in time and so one cool thing about uh, the God of the Bible, you know, Jesus walked on earth and he exhibited all three of these types of love. And so this one was a little harder for me. But if I had to compare Jesus in a, you know, an Eros love setting uh, you know, I thought about when Jesus was in the temple and he flipped tables. So in this scene, uh, I think it's, I can't remember where it is exactly, but Jesus is, is passionate and fiery. His emotions were strong in this scene where he flips the table over. And, you know, he's fighting for justice and righteousness over greed and deception. And so, Jesus, you know, he can be driven by his emotions. This God that became man, he had emotions just like us. I, I think that's really exciting as we explore love that Jesus did out of this, you know, this passion-driven love. And so, when you think of eros love, think of you know, passion-driven love, short-term love, you know, emotion-driven love, that kind of thing. Think infatuation, even. Uh, if you're thinking relationally, so eros love, the second type of love, is philos love. So this is more of a brotherly love. It's a love for you know a, a very close friend. It's less emotion-driven and more activity-driven. And so for an example, I have a sister named Hadley, and uh, you know I would do anything for her, but at the same time she can also drive me crazy. This this familial bond, her being part of my family, is what it, it sticks us together. But, you know, through thick and thin, we also have other things we like, you know, mutually enjoy and things like sports and movies. These uh, these shared interests keep our sibling love strong and, you know, they grow us closer together as a bond. So this Phyllos love is brotherly in nature. It's sibling like in nature, you know, a very good, deep friendship in in nature. So there's more uh, there's more substance to this love than just emotions. I'm stuck with Hadley no matter what. But at the same time, I'm so proud to call her my sister. She's my sister. It's a sister that I love and I'll always love. And so thinking of Philo's love, thinking of brotherly love in relation to Jesus, I think about uh, Jesus' relationship with his disciples. And there's there's one scene in particular that comes to mind when I think about this. um, And uh, yeah, really, Uh, I'd like to just lay it out here. So if you want to turn to John 21, I'm just gonna read it I think that's the easiest way but the as you're turning there John 21 to set the stage This is after Jesus' resurrection So the disciples have just gone through this emotional roller coaster where this person that you know their master their teacher The person they, they believed was the son of God He walks with them for three years and then he dies. So naturally their worldview is shaken to the core so these disciples, uh, you know, they're, they're left without hope. Jesus is dead. So enter into the scene, step into it with me, John 21. And even as I read, um, try to put yourselves in the shoes of these fishermen. Try to live out this experience like you're on the boat with them. So here, I'll, I'll read it. John 21, starting in verse 4, we'll read up until about verse 14. So John 21, 4. I want to read it because I think it just does it, does it better than me explaining it. This is after Jesus' resurrection. The disciples uh, are about to encounter Jesus again. So, verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered in him, No. And he said to them, Casting it on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some." Uh, familiar to when they, you know, alluding to when he called uh, his disciples the first time. Um, So he said to them, cast it on the right side and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they're not far off from the land about a hundred yards. When they got out to the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Uh, and in that charcoal fire, there was fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled in the shore full of large fish, 153 of them. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared even ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They knew it was Jesus. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to them after the disciples Uh, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead so feel love among other things Jesus was a great friend (laughs) Jesus was the friend that was gonna show up after a long day of work and say hey you know I I got breakfast ready for you you've been toiling all night fishing come take a load off hang out with me on the beach let's you know let's talk about what just happened (laughs) and so Jesus was the one that would come back from the dead and all he wanted to do was bring his disciples to recline with him and talk to them, to hang out with them, to cook a meal with them. So Jesus, this is, this is deep friendships, friendships that he's developed with his disciples over years and years. And he's coming after he resurrects to enjoy that with him, now that he's back. So Eros love, passionate, emotional, more infatuation. Philos love, like we find in John 21, it's brotherly love, it's deep love. It's a friendship uh, like Jesus embodies here for us. And there's a, there's a third type of love, eros, philos, the third one's an aga- agape love. This third type of love that I believe really is more impressive than the first two. Jesus embodies all three of them, but this, this is the love that we can really, uh, to sit, sit in this love and really kind of unpack it for the next little bit. So agape love. Um, agape love is a love for everyone. It's an unconditional love. It's innate, it's not driven by feeling. It's selfless and it's sacrificial in nature. It's agape love is putting the good of others constantly before your own good. Agape love is doing these sacrifices, experiencing these these, these love and, and playing them out and then expecting nothing in return. So agape love is selfless, sacrificial, it's beautiful. So want I think about uh, example for this. (laughs) It's not a perfect example, but when I think of agape love, I picture Buddy the Elf. You know, he he has an unrelenting love and this love is powerful. It's, it's, uh, It's not expecting a lot in return. So to paint the picture, if you've seen the movie Elf, you can see Buddy's desperate attempt to find his dad. When he finds him, his dad gives him nothing in return. So Buddy goes up to his dad, Explains, you know, everything he went through the North Pole, came down to find him, blah, blah. It's crazy. Uh, he trekked for miles and miles to go find his dad. His dad rejects him, throws him out of the building. What does Buddy do in return? Not return wrong for wrong, Buddy. He, he brings a present for his dad the second time around to express his love to his dad and he gets kicked out of the building again. And so, like I said, it's not a perfect example of, of agape love because Buddy does grow weary after a time. But Buddy is an example of sacrificial love that he would he would walk out that way to find his dad. He's an example of uh, a self-sacrificing love. Buddy the Elf is, you know, it's, is a guy that you just can't help but love because his love is so strong for his dad and his family and for Santa and for all these things. And so agape love is selfless, it's sacrificial. Uh, and, you know, When I think about the breadth of Jesus' love, this is cheesy, but you know, it, it makes me think about how Jesus really is the true bachelor. Like if, if Jesus was a bachelor contestant, he would have everything that you would want in a husband. He would have everything you would want in a God. And so uh, this bachelor, this redeemer, this bachelor Jesus, he embodies Eros love. You know, he's flipping tables. He loves passionately and he fights for justice. He, this bachelor Jesus embodies philos love. He's hanging out on the beach with his friends, eating some fish, he's down to earth. Uh, but where we'll be for the remainder of this talk is just unpacking how Jesus, this bachelor, this perfect bachelor really embodies agape love beautifully and fully. And so uh, we can find agape love all over the Bible. Agape love is really just another way to, to talk about the gospel of sacrificial love. Though so God designed this love better than we have it uh, as seen on The Bachelor. It's, it's richer and it's deeper. And so I, I love to just spend the, the last few minutes concluding with how Jesus really is the ultimate embodiment of, of love. So we'll just look at a couple of verses. The first one is John 15, John 15, verse 13. Um, I'll just read it. You, you can see, I've got my love really clearly here. It says, John fifteen thirteen. it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this. is someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus did just this. He laid down his life for his friends. As we explore the Bible and the themes of the Bible and the, the uh, pictures painted in the Bible, we can find the sacrificial love spread across every book of the Bible. Every book is pointing to this culmination of Jesus dying on the cross for us, this ultimate sacrifice. And so, you know, How do we see this? Isaiah 53 is a place where we can see it really clearly. So John 15 lays out what it is. Isaiah 53 back in the Old Testament can explain exactly how Jesus did it. So Isaiah 53 verses five and six is where we're gonna see how God's uh, sacrificial love is on display, but also how it impacts us. So Isaiah 53 verse five starts with, um, "'But he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we're healed. All like sheep we have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So John 15, Isaiah 53, they both point us to something greater. uh, They point us to what the Bible is really all about. And that's the agape love of Jesus. Self-sacrificing love of Jesus, they point us to this this recurring theme of love in the Bible. So we can see in Isaiah, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, meaning He was He was stabbed for our sin. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, meaning He was trampled for our shortcomings. Jesus received chastisement, and that chastisement ultimately can bring us peace through. Jesus' wounds, we can find healing. And so, on the cross, God laid the weight of all of the world, the weight of sin, on Jesus' shoulders. And and these are the things that Jesus took to the cross. So why would any person do this? Why would any God do this? It's Very simply put, agape love is the reason. Self-sacrificing love. Love expecting nothing in return. So what what kind of God would stoop down from heaven to endure this suffering on earth. And it's a God that that loves his people, a God that has a greater purpose for his people, a God that has a redemptive plan. And so this God filled with love, this God exuding self-sacrifice wants what's best for us. So verse six in Isaiah 53, it says that we go astray. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've um, dealt with the consequences Of your own going astray maybe you've reaped some of the consequences of someone else going astray you've been hurt Uh, you've been damaged Um, well Jesus died for these very reasons so Jesus didn't die to bring more hurt he didn't die to bring more guilt he didn't die to make your burden heavier he died to bring you peace like Isaiah 53 says Jesus died to bring healing and that peace and that healing it was sealed when jesus rose from the grave uh, if jesus never rose from the grave then this would all be for nothing christianity would be a, a vain attempt at religion but because jesus did raise from the grave there's there's more to the story than our hurt and our burdens our bondage our brokenness our pain uh, there's a reassurance that jesus will come back this god of agape love is going to come back not to to be sacrificed again but in victory and in power and so he's bringing peace and he's bringing healing yes he's he's going to to wipe away every tear from our eyes but he's also going to bring righteousness he's going to bring justice he's going to bring uh overwhelming senses of victory when he comes back and so now we're caught in the middle getting glimpses of that peace and of that healing waiting uh, eagerly longing for the day where that peace and that longing Is fulfilled completely and so uh, the Christian life isn't one of perfection the expectation or the standard was never perfection and we see in the Old Testament how that was made so clear by the Israelites by God's people but the beautiful thing is the Christian life is one of adoption and so this this God of agape love welcomes us into his family even though we don't deserve it so look at these things that Jesus went through for that reason he was crushed, he was pierced, he was chastised, he was wounded. So he takes all of these things and in return, instead of giving us what we deserve, he gives us agape love, he gives us peace, he gives us freedom from the bondage of sin. He, he gives us uh, weight lifted off of our shoulders from the crushing and the piercing bondage that we really do deserve. He offers us peace, he offers us healing. And so all of these things, They can't be explained away by uh, a love other than agape love, the self-sacrificing love, this love that expects nothing in return. So God has designed this love that we can find in the Bible to be deeper and richer, to be better than any TV show could ever explain love. This agape love is deep and rich. This agape love is... Uh, it is exhibited through Jesus and through his sacrifice, through his perfect life and his, his death and his resurrection. And so what do we do with this? If we believe these things, what do we do with this new information about love? Well, I hope that we would learn from Jesus' example. Uh, we would live with Eros love, being passionate and, and, and driven by emotions in some senses. Uh, done the right way. Uh, Eros love is a very good and very redeemed thing. Um, Jesus flipped tables. Like Danielle, my wife always says, we could live raw and we can live real, raw and real. Just be raw and real. Um, what else do we do with this information? Well, Jesus live with brotherly love, feel love? Why wouldn't we just do the same? Why can't we be an extraordinary friend? Why can't we be a sibling that Uh, Puts it all on the line for his family and loves his family radically. Why can't we exhibit this Philo's love? And thirdly, what do we do with this agape love? (laughs) We we love richly. We love radically. We love sacrificially. As I, I hope you know, we're not responding to this love of God in hopes that God would love us more. It's quite the opposite. We're responding to this love of God that's been showered on us in a way that uh, it reflects the love of the God that we serve to the people around us. There's no more love that you can earn from God by being a better person. That's not what Christianity, that's not the message of the gospel. Your love when you believe in these things, when you believe Jesus is who he says he is, when he rose from the dead, um, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, man that love is standard. (laughs) It's rich. It's deep. We can't even get to the bottom of it. This agape love is unbelievable. So don't feel the pressure of this love thinking, Oh, you know, I, I didn't do love well today or, you know, getting prideful and thinking, Oh, I did love really well today. It's like that. That's not the point. The point of this love is to exhibit God's love to the people around us. And so to close, uh, I love to just restate three things I know for certain. Number one, uh, the Bachelor has some redeemable quality, qualities. The Bachelor has some redeemable qualities. <laughs> uh, number two, The Bachelor has some flaws. Uh, this, it's a TV show. It's reality TV. What do you expect? Uh, but number three, there is a Bachelor who's flawless. The scars in his hand show his character, uh, and he will come back to bring peace and healing ultimately. This, this bachelor exudes agape love, and it's, it's the picture of God's love as written in the Bible that we can experience fully. This agape love is rich, and it's deep. This agape love is beautiful, and I hope you can experience this agape love as, as you move into your next semester, and you can respond to this agape love as you move on to your next endeavor after the break.